I think I'm going to write a book about the first two years we were married and call it the dumb stepdad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did everything wrong. <laughs> You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Hey, y'all, we're back. (laughs) As a reminder, Zoom really screwed us up on this recording, so bear with us as some of the audio is a little wonky. Yep. (laughs) And only one more of those, I hope, (laughs) after this one. So guess what today is? Not as everybody's listening, but as we're recording. Um, No idea. Today is World Gratitude Day. Oh, how cool is that? Yep. And this past weekend was Step Family Day. Uh Uh-huh. Hence the Step Family Summit. There you go. So what are you uh, grateful for? Sleep. (laughs) Food. You know, we, we talk about gratitude quite a bit, especially within the academy, but it does have to be something that you really pay attention to oftentimes mm-hmm. because you're inundated day in and day out with things that are negative. The news is negative. You know, everything that's going on around you for the most part is negative. At least that's what gets the most attention. Yes. So to, to have a attitude of gratitude, <laughs> it really takes effort, which is why I think journaling Gratitude journaling is is such a good thing. It causes you to to really focus on those things in your life you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, and it's unfortunate, but oftentimes it really takes a serious wake up call for people to start really putting life into perspective and realizing what really makes a difference. Yes. Well, it's interesting because if I ask someone, "Tell me about your childhood." more than likely they're going to tell me negative things Mm -hmm. because that's what they remember. We tend to remember the bad versus the good. That's why it's so important for us to make ourselves remember and think about the good. It's like feeding your brain healthy stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's human nature to default to negative. And in some cases, it's because it's kind of part of our built-in defense mechanisms. Right. We're, we're looking for the, for the negative things around us that, you know, that the tiger is just going to eat us or something like that from the mm-hmm. caveman days. Um, and, and so you're looking for those things, but there's so much negative that can happen to you because of it. You know, the stress hormones, we've talked about this before, but people. Hormones. That's what I said. Hormones. <laughs> I don't like saying that. <laughs> <laughs> But so uh, you say hormones. Yes, I do. Because it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, you don't call it a horror. Anyway, so <laughs> we have these, these, these stressors in our life. It releases these negative chemicals into our bodies. And we develop all kinds of illnesses, sicknesses, and I mean, it kill you. Stress will absolutely kill you. Yes. Whether it's because of health-related issues or some people, unfortunately, choose to take their own life because of stress. Mm-hmm. So today, World Gratitude Day, as we're recording, it's not today on Friday as you're listening, 
<laughs> and by the way, today is the 21st, September 21st. So World Gratitude Day. So stop, think for a minute about things that you're really grateful for. I'm grateful for you, David. Oh. And for you, Jackson, if you're listening. Yeah, he might be. <laughs> Got to add the baby boy in there. But no, I really am. I'm very grateful that you helped me with all the Nacho Kids stuff because I couldn't do this without you. I mean, I wouldn't have had to do it without you. You know, I wouldn't have had to Nacho if it wasn't for you. But <laughs> um, really, I mean, you do all the website stuff and all that. And you just are on all the Q&A calls and on any of the podcast recordings you can be on. You're just very helpful. And I appreciate that. Well, thank you, darling. I'm thankful Ron Deal is a guest on our podcast again. Uh, today? Yeah. What? Yes. He had to come talk about his Preparing to Blend book. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And You should have wrote this a long time ago, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 20 years ago, Ron. We wouldn't have not your kids today. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bad thing. That's true. That would be a bad thing. That's true. Yes. Yeah, that's a, it's a big deal, man. Trying to figure all these things out beforehand. Well, I really applaud the people that joined the Nacho Kids Academy prior to blending. Oh, I know. I was about to bring that up, but we start, we're seeing more people that are looking for those resources and to kind of get ahead of things. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say we didn't do that, but there weren't, weren't as many resources out there. Well, we read everything that we could. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, there's a difference between what you read and then what you think that, um, what you think applies to you. And what you live, because nothing in that book told me the hell I was going to go through. <laughs> well, I think even even the parts that did tell you, like, look out for this. You know, you and I both were kind of naive and, oh, we ain't worried about that. We can, we'll be able to do that. It's not going to be a problem. Yeah, we were delusional. So I think that a lot of a lot of families run into that. They, they don't feel like they're going to have the same issues that other people have. Because it's funny when people say, well, I don't want to get on these coaching calls and tell people about you know, my busted up situation. And I'm thinking to myself, I doubt there's anything you're going to bring that we probably haven't heard before. And most people in there are probably as busted up as you are, because we certainly were as busted up as anybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it helps other people to not just hear our story, but to hear yours and to hear what you're going through and ways that we can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think any couple's got it all together, (laughs) I mean, there might be a few, but most people got some busted up stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. And they don't tell you about it on Facebook. No. As uh, the philosopher Derwin Gray always says, they are a toe up from the flow up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. But I am glad that Ron came out with this book because it's funny. We didn't know he was coming out with this book, but you and I have talked about how we need to have almost a pre-blend nacho thing Mm -hmm. and the material we already have of course could be applied oh yeah in in most of the cases you know no matter what journey you're on because some people have kids that are out of the house some people still in the house uh, it all does apply sometimes it takes a little bit of tweaking here and there Um, and that's that's why the coaching calls are so valuable is because you know i can hand you a hammer but sometimes (laughs) you know it's all about you have to tell them which end to hold. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's with anything. I mean, a tool is a tool. The academy is a tool. There's t- this book we're talking about is a tool. Mm-hmm. But if you don't use it or you don't use it properly, mm, then your birdhouse will be busted up. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Full disclosure, I have not had a chance to read this book yet, but I am looking forward to reading it and I'll give y'all my input later. Yep. We did talk about it in the interview. Mm-hmm. A little bit. And, um, you know, Ron, Ron is fun to interview because I kind of catch him. Like, I bet you if I had an opportunity to sit down with him, he and I would probably crack each other up. Oh, yeah. You know, he said that one of his gifts was sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe one day we can meet Ron in person. I think he and I would get along great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being that he's representing other organizations, I'm sure he has to be hmm, somewhat reserved. I like to ask <laughs> his wife that sometimes. Is he reserved, you know? Because, you know. Ron, what are you like in real life? You know, in professional situations, you have to, you know, kind of be a little more buttoned up. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why David works for himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't make a good employee. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. So, David, we got any announcements going on? Yeah, actually, I think well, it's time to pull another name out of the hat, right? The winner of this week's free month of the Nacho Kids Academy, courtesy of the Sylvia Krakauer Scholarship, is Shannon S. Shannon, check your email and we'll get you started with your free month of the Nacho Kids Academy. Congratulations, Shannon. All right. What else we got going on, David? I think that's it. I feel like we're missing something. Maybe I'll remember by the end. (laughs) All right, let's get into the interview with Ron Deal. First, here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have Ron Deal back again. Hey, Ron Deal, how are you? Oh, man, this is fun. Glad to be back with you. So, Ron, rather than me try to tell everybody your history <laughs> and your bio, how about you just do that for me? Sure. Um, so, I've been What working- a cop-out. I just have to say, <laughs> that's a cop-out if I ever seen one. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. I don't mind. Um, I've been in marriage and family education therapy and ministry for um, about 30 years now. And um, a good part of that, 27, 28 years, I've been working with step families specifically. And you're only 35 uh, years old. That's amazing. I know. It's just incredible. (laughs) It's funny how you get younger as you get older. I'm not sure how that works, but something about that. Um, And so, yeah, I love it. Um, Today, I get to lead one of the largest ministries in the world called Family Life Blended. We're a division of, of a large international ministry called Family Life. Family Life Blended uh, has the largest collection of videos, resources, podcasts, uh, articles, books, um, video series. We put on two live events every year. One's a live stream event that's broadcast around the world. And uh, we get to just jump into people's living rooms and say, hey, let's talk about being a blended family and how you do that well. And we're also always trying to work on the end of helping leaders and educators and ministers and family uh, educators understand step families better and uh, and do a better job of intervening with that. I started a few years ago, well, more than a decade ago, actually training therapists to work with step families. We now have this growing network of counselors. So if people are looking for a therapist, either virtually or in their backyard, they can go to my personal webpage, uh, which is smartstepfamilies.com. 
and click find a counselor. And uh, so for the first time, I feel like we're being able to really offer people the personal help that they really need. So Family Life Blended is at familylife.com slash blended, familylife.com slash blended. There you go. It's great that you are working with therapists because you would not believe the people that come to us for coaching that say they went to a therapist for their blended family issues. And the therapist is like, you just need to love those kids more. Yep. And that makes the step parent feel like crap because they're like, I'm doing the best I can. Hey, um, we're here talking about preparing to blend uh, book number nine for me. And I wrote it in part because premarital counseling, which is done by educators and counselors and pastors all over the place, often looks like what they offer a first-time married couple getting married who's 25 and 26 years of age. And to your point, it's it's simply because the pastor doesn't know any better. He doesn't understand step-family dynamics. He thinks what he's doing is going to, you know, be enough. We're going to satisfy what this couple and new family needs, or maybe it's a counselor. You would not believe this, but um, when I went, got my training in marriage and family therapy, I had a required course that was all about step family therapy and therapy with single parent families. I thought everybody in the world would have to have a course like that. It is, it was not true 30 years ago. It is not true now. Most counselors have literally no training whatsoever in blended family dynamics, whether they be a doctor in psychology, whether they have a master's degree or marriage and family therapist, whatever it might be. And so without that education, they inadvertently give what I call first family advice to second families. And, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't fit. It's, it's a square peg trying to fit in a round hole, and it actually makes things worse. Yes, it puts mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations on everybody. Yes, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, using your analogy, I like to tell people you can get the square peg in the round hole, but you <laughs> damage it a lot. Yeah, you're gonna have it. to shave off some of those edges. <laughs> Something's gonna be hurting when by the yeah. time you get it there. You're exactly right. Your timing is actually perfect because David and I have talked about how we need to have a pre-blend for nachoing. Mm-hmm. And we've had several couples join the Nacho Kids Academy before they blend. And we're like, oh, yes, you're awesome. You're getting ahead of the game. You're learning things. And before you hit the struggles and, you know, as well as we do, we were a prime example. In the beginning, we have these rose colored glasses on. We don't think it'll necessarily be easy, but we have no clue of what it's really going to be like. So if someone would have came to us and said, oh, let me tell you about this Nacho Kids method in the mm-hmm. beginning would have been like, you're slap crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be the stepmom. I'm going to take care of these kids. That's right. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. But it's hard to get people to get help before they need it. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't go to the dentist unless my tooth hurts. Right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you'll go and you'll get your annual checkup or, you know, but when it hurts, then you're really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's just something in human nature. That's kind of the way we're all wired. Um, but when people go, for example, premarital preparation, it really does them a lot of good. Do you know that <laughs> it's amazing what premarital counseling does for couples? The quality of their relationship goes up 30% instantly, mm-hmm. and they lower their risk of divorce year over year by 31%. Like, why would you not do that? 
Like it just makes sense for the longevity of your life, your marriage, your family. And yet most couples, only 44%, less than half get premarital counseling before they get married. That's true of all couples. Mm -hmm. When it comes to blended family couples, 75% do not get any preparation at all. And they need it more than the first families. Well, it's because they exactly. feel like they've, they've done it before, right? You know, I've already been married before. I know how to do yeah. this. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. we were doing. I mean, we we researched and did the homework. Um, or at yeah. least she did. I said, tell me what you figure out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, to a large degree, I really thought that, you know, she and I got along great. The kids mm-hmm. were getting along great. Everything looked like it was going to be easy. And, um, yeah. man. Well, we took a questionnaire, 100 questions. Okay. That we were given by a preacher for premarital counseling, right? Okay. One answer was different. Wow. Hmm. So we're like, oh yeah, we're <laughs> going to rock this like never. That's seven to nine years to blend. Pff, we're going to do this in two. We're we're mm-hmm. great, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was for a traditional nuclear family. Those questions were. Yeah. They don't I- take into account guilty parent syndrome. They don't take into yes. account the stepmom feeling second. Yeah. They don't take into account the crazy ex bio mom or bio dad. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't factor all that in. And, you know, maybe that's what we need to do is work on a hundred question questionnaire for the step families. Because <laughs> yeah. I guarantee I'm, you our answers would have been a lot different. <laughs> I've, I've, I've thought about that. There is a real need for that. There definitely is. You know, and here's the other thing that that does is, well, there's a bunch of things I'm thinking of. Number one, it's a setup for you because it gave you this false sense of security. It just reinforced, oh, yeah, right. You and I see eye to eye on this as husband and wife. Therefore, it's going to work for everybody. But what that does not take into account is the difference between coupleness and familyness. So in this latest book, Preparing to Blend, which is all designed for engaged couples and counselors and pastors, by the way, coupleness is like you and I see eye to eye. You and I are in love. You and I have made a commitment to one another, and we agree till death do us part is a really good thing. But familyness is how do we get along with children? How do how motivated are children to receive you as a new step parent into their life? Some kids are highly motivated. They let you in right away. They're very comfortable with you coming into their world. Other children are not. And like some are in the beginning, and then it exactly changes. it changes over time. It runs the gamut. So you have all of that. Then familyness also includes former spouses, right? And the influence they have on your home, former mother-in-laws who are grandmothers who want to see their grandkids. It has to do with loss, catching up with you in the present. It has to do with parenting. And even though you and I saw eye to eye before we got married, perhaps on parenting, and, and by the way, research that I and David Olson have done, a very small percentage of couples actually have any good conversations about parenting let alone a plan where they really agree to it, right? Those are two different things. But even if you do see eye to eye, it doesn't mean you're going to agree when one of the children comes to mom or dad and says, "Um, I feel like I'm being mistreated here. You know, my step parent, you know, your spouse, they're treating me differently than they treat their own kids or whatever the complaint is. And all of a sudden the bio parent goes, okay, wait a minute. I feel like I got to defend my kid here. now." You didn't see that coming. And so that's the stuff that gets you cross with each other. And that's what we try to do, build into this book, Preparing to Blend and all the other 
Smart Step Family, Smart Step Mom, Smart Step Dad, all the other books that we've created to try to help you really understand what's happening with this step family dynamic so you can come together around how to manage that. Yeah, I think I'm going to write a book about the first two years we were married and call it The Dumb Stepdad. (laughs) because i did everything wrong (laughs) well let me ask you guys a question if you don't mind since we're talking about preparing for marriage if you could go back what what are one or two things you just really wish that preacher would have helped you to understand or had got you to talk to one another about or talk to your kids about the reality Mm. of trying to blend okay because like we said we did a lot of research we talked to different preachers we went to a counselor that I knew, and he was probably the most real with us mm-hmm. um, about how it's not going to be easy. But of course, again, we're thinking, oh, we've done our research and mm-hmm. the kids are happy about it. We're good. I wish that somebody would just basically say, this is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> At times, you think you made the worst mistake in the world. At times, you're going to feel like you hate everybody and everybody hates you. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think helped David and I is that night that we had met with the counselor and Nacho Kids was born. We decided we were not giving up. Divorce mm-hmm. and separation mm-hmm. was not an option. Good for you. Good for you. But I just feel like that when people do talk about it, they don't want to talk about the hard parts. It's almost mm-hmm. like going to church where the preacher doesn't talk about hell. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, we're just going to pretty it up and we're yeah. going to make you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a delicate balance out there, you know, being a therapist and helping to uh, coach and equip pastors and counselors to work with step families. I know one of the things they struggle with is, all right, so, but how do you, so this couple's coming in happy. They're getting married in a few months and they're thrilled. So how do you help them to slow down a little bit and just maybe look at some of those realities? Not that it's necessarily going to be bad, but at least you want them to be aware of the possible realities they might face. And I think one of the things, to, one of the ways to do that that I've discovered is um, to tell other people's stories and let them hear other people's stories, which is what you guys do such a great job as is telling people stories. Like, listen to that. You know, anybody listening right now who's dating or engaged, listen to what you hear about on this podcast because some of that is possibly real for you and your family when you get there. Uh, the other thing is kind of creating what we call a, a genogram is a formal term, but a blended family map. And let me tell you, I partnered with uh, this couple. They've created this online digital map that families can do. You go online, you enter some information about your family, answer a few questions, and it populates this uh, family picture of the relationships that your children have the temperature of the relationships with each other person in the picture, your, your relationship with former spouses, good, bad, or ugly. It, it shows you the legal bonds, the biological bonds, the step parenting bonds that are going to be coming into play. And so it create, gives you this image that you can print off. And now you have this tool to go, oh, wow, look at Julie. You know, She's 16. She's got six different relationships going to hit. It becomes reality for her. Four of them are really hard. Two of them are really good. What kind of position does that put her in when we all move into the house together? Mm-hmm. And it helps you get your head around other people and what's happening for them and begin to anticipate what could be difficult and what could be good. I think one of the most powerful things, we built that right into this book. It's the first chapter because I want people to be able to reference that as they go throughout the rest of the study. But it also allows you to go to Julie and go, you know, look at this. 
this is going to be our family. Tell me about being you. Tell me about your relationship with this person or how you feel about being stuck between that person and that person. And it gives you this catalyst to open up dialogue that you probably would never have. And if you can connect into the heart of that, uh, of that child, it gives both of you a little stronger bond headed into reality. Now, where can people find this blended family map outside of your book? Uh, blending.love. That doesn't sound like a website, but it is. <laughs> it's the greatest. <laughs> I think it's the greatest URL ever. I wish I would have grabbed it. Blending.love. You can go there right now. It's active for 10 bucks. You can do this blended family map. And it also comes with some educational tools and things that are free as a result of just uh, jumping in and doing it. So I recommend it. I would like to do it thinking back mm. where oh, yeah. we were in those stages to see what it would have recommended or how it kind of uh, classified everybody. Yeah. And it, by the way, uh, couples that are married and in a blended family now can still do that. It's not just for pre-married couples. Uh, anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David, I answered his question about what we you wish that the preacher or whoever would have told us. Mm-hmm. So what was your answer? I think for me, it would have been, don't try to... Don't try to force the relationships. Mm. My, one of my biggest mistakes was we're going to sit down together as a family. We're going to go here as a family. We're going to do this as a fa- You know, I just created this whole, let's pluck out the old ex. Let's pluck in this new woman. Newer, and- better model. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I talk about this oftentimes in, in, uh, with our uh, coaching people, but it's like, there's different roles. There's a mom role and a step in a, in a um, wife, a wife role here. Thank you. There's a mom role and a wife role. And, you know, we plucked out a person that was feeling both of those. But when, but when Lori comes in, she's not feeling both of those. She's mm-hmm. only feeling the wife role, not right. a mom role. There's still a mom there. She's not in our house. Uh, but for some people that she's mm-hmm. in the house because she's in the head in the, in the relationship. Right. Yep. But you know, the the mistake I made was thinking I could pluck one person out, put another person in, and then just keep moving forward mm-hmm. like normal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the kids would push back against that. It was, I don't, um, you know, I don't want to have time together in the evening where everybody's together. I want time alone with my bio parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, especially family prayers. That seemed to be a big mm-hmm. thing. His kids wanted things to be the way they were with him saying prayers. And my son wanted it. With just me and him, because that's yeah. what even my son at four was kind of reluctant to. Why do I have to go up there with them? It's mm-hmm. just me and you, mommy. Let's say our prayers. You know, that's a warm family blanket right there. You know, that ritual, saying prayers together, connecting at the end of the day. That's like having a warm blanket around you and then three people else climb inside the blanket. Like all of a sudden you lost your warmth. You lost. It's not safe anymore. That's what that's about. That's one of those reality moments where. But I thought we were all going to come together and blend, but it still feels like we're separate. And that's the truth. I think that's one of those hard truths that a lot of people just have a hard time seeing. And, and you know, honestly, it's, it's not bad news. It's just, look, this is a developmental step on your way to blending, to mm-hmm. being together. But it takes time and each person has their own timing. And you yeah. got to respect that as best you can. Absolutely. We, we have people come to us sometimes and they'll say, 
but we're not functioning as a single family unit. And I'm like, but you're not a single mm-hmm. family. That's right. You know, it's, you're not even two families. You're three and four families sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. you have all these different relationships because there's technically there's her and her son, which is a family unit. There's me and my kids, which is a family unit. There's me and her, which is a kind of a different family unit. And you, you're you bringing all these things together. Yeah. And um, it's almost like a Venn diagram, really. Mm-hmm. You got the small piece that's in the middle. That's what I pulled up was the Venn did diagram you? <laughs> that I did. Yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, so you have this diagram of kind of the, there's a small sliver in the middle where everything kind of meets. But as a whole, you still have, still have all these dynamics that's happening that are on the outskirts of other people's lives. Well, you guys know my analogy. How do you cook a step family? You know, I yeah. talk about that in my book, The Smart Step Family. It's it's in a crock pot. And mm-hmm. when you dump ingredients into a crock pot, some of them come in together and they all kind of bundle up on one side of the crock pot and all the other ingredients are just laid land where they land and the cooking process starts, but boy, is it slow. And mm-hmm. eventually what happens is ingredients warm up they soften. That's so very important. They soften. Their outer shell softens. And then they begin to share of themselves. They share juices. They, they begin to merge. But all of that happens after warming up, after softening, then they begin to connect at deeper and deeper levels. Well, if you try to force that, you try to get a blender out and force all those ingredients together, somebody's hurting, somebody's you know mad, somebody feels chopped up by the blades, it backfires in every way. It does. So, you know, your observation about, I wish somebody would have told us it, it, we do merge, but it happens differently than we think and you can't force it. I totally agree with you. That is a game changer. Mm-hmm. When couples come in with their expectation of that in the right place, then they're not really surprised, if, um, you know, a month into the, into the family after the wedding, when one of the kids says, no, I don't want you coming in for prayers tonight. They're not surprised by that. That may be a little hurt by it. But they recognize it for what it is. And you put it into the category at that point of, oh, this is normal Mm -hmm. rather than we're messed up. What did we do wrong? Oh, no, this is normal. They kind of told us this would happen. So I guess I just need to give them a little space, let him and and let my husband and his son have that little time and that ritual. And I'll join with my husband later when it's over. Yes, that's exactly right. Now that kid has got a little breathing room. He's connected with the other ingredient that's most important to him at this place in his life. And over time, he will begin to connect with you, the other new ingredient that he's trying to figure out how to connect with. But that happens in its own time and in its own way. Every ingredient has their own time. Yeah, we were talking with a lady the other day and she said, you know, we've been doing this blending thing now for like two years and I expect it to be better by now. Yeah. And I'm, you know, she's like, for, it's been a long time. I'm like, no. Yeah. For, for me, I'm sitting there <laughs> laughing. I'm like, yeah, it takes a while. And, and I'm sorry if I freak some people out when I say that because a lot of people come to us and they're looking for the microwave solution. You know, yeah, what right. can I do to, to hurry up and get Zap this it. thing fixed? <laughs> yeah. There's no silver bullet. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and two people <laughs> tend to forget if you don't have the step kids, but every other weekend, yeah, a year is only however many days. It's every other week. It's only 26 weeks out of the year and, that you have the opportunity to bond with this person. And more than that, Lori, it's not just less time. It's that ingredient hops into another crock pot. And in that crock pot, there is its own journey, its own relationships, its own challenges, its own other ingredients, Spoiled ingredients, whatever so. they might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. And, 
and it warms up a little bit there. And then when it comes back into your crock pot, it's like, oh man, I, I'm missing something about being a, and so over here brings loss and a little sadness and a little, gosh, now I got to wrestle in my heart with how I'm connected to people over there and people over here. It just makes it more complicated. And, and again, for children in particular, it slows down the cooking process. It's really bad if they hop over to the other pot and in the other crock pot, they get messages like, you know, we're the best pot. You do know that, right? And all those ingredients over there, they're losers. And don't you dare love them because then I'll be upset with you. What Mm -hmm. a bind for a kid, right? That is just, that is a hard place to be. And if you're listening right now and you're guilty of putting a kid into that uh, bind, please stop because it really wears hard on their emotions and their psyche. It's really hard on them. I'm going to tell you a mistake that I made that I see a lot of other people doing it too. So um, I'm not alone. And I'm sure there's tons of people that are listening. They're like, oh my gosh, I've done it too. The mistake I made oftentimes is I would communicate with my kids while they were at the other parent's house. And I would say things like, oh, I miss you so much. I wish you were here. You know, I, daddy's sad when you're not yeah. here. Yeah. And, you know, you, and I, I, at the time it's, you know, I want them to know I miss them. Sure. Now, now that I'm smarter, <laughs> I look back and go, that was terrible, mm, terrible yeah. for me to do that to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so delicate, isn't it? Because on the one hand, like you say, you do want them to know that you miss them. I mean, in a, in a positive message, that is a, um, you matter to me, mm-hmm. right? And of course you want your kids to know that, but at the same time, you don't want them to hear that as, oh, wow, dad's a mess without me, or I need to take care of dad. I need to call him couple times, you know, and, and then now they're divided in their other home. So it, it is delicate. I think each child maybe has a different answer, but in general, I think the way to do that is say both sides of it. Like you can say to a child, look, I, I miss you. Uh, you know, well, I look forward to you coming home, but I'm so glad you're there. Enjoy your mom, have a good time, enjoy your stepdad. And I'd love to hear all about it when you, when you come this weekend. And what you've done there is simultaneously said, hey, you matter to me. I miss you. Mm-hmm. And you've said, you have my permission to be a kid and get along and have fun and love the people that you're with. And that helps relieve that tension in them. I know with my son at an early age, he had difficulty going to his dad's, which you would think would be easier because that was the only life he knew. From mm-hmm. birth, I mean, he didn't go over there immediately, but I had taken him to a counselor because he was really upset about going and I didn't have a choice. There's a court yeah. order that says you have to go. Yeah. Right. Right. And she told me, she said, stop making it sound like he's going to the circus hmm. because hmm. I'd be like, oh, you're going to have a good time with your daddy. Y'all are going <laughs> to do blah, blah, blah. She says she, he gets there and he's not happy and it doesn't seem like the circus and he feels like you lied to him. Mm-hmm. She hmm. says, so just be honest with him and say, your dad is allowed to see you by the judge, says that you need to go such and such yeah. days, and that's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I probably had the only four-year-old in South Carolina that would go, can't come to your house this weekend, friend, because <laughs> I got to go to my daddy's because the court order said so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was his life. You know, it, telling them the truth 
I think there's a great temptation, especially when guilt gets a hold of your parent heart, that you don't want to tell them that you don't want to you don't want to be real with it. You want to make it sound like everything's going to be great and fine and wonderful. And you know, a lot of engaged couples and dating couples kind of do the sell job, is what I call it. You know, the child says, "Yeah, I don't know, Dad. She's a little. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out if I like her or not." And next thing Dad says is. Well, let me give you the list of 10 reasons why you should love my new partner. Like, back up, man. What are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. that's your need to sell your partner to your child. And all you did was put a little distance between you and your kid. Yes. Because they, they just don't looked, feel that way. Right. They just said, oh, okay, I can't really be honest with dad. That's what I just learned. Uh, he needs me to like her. So, mm-hmm. wow. Um, where's that leave me? Mm-hmm. No wonder some kids get resentful about new people coming into their life because it shuts me down. It pushes me out and you spend all your time and energy with them rather than with me. If if I was a kid, I think I'd be mad about that too. Yes, exactly. I actually met someone today. I won't say where because I don't know if they'll listen to this. And they were telling me about a couple they knew that had recently got married. Mm -hmm. The stepdaughter's 25 years old. The stepmom's 45. They got in a fist fight. Oh, my. Hmm. And now this is going to shock you. (laughs) The dad sided with the stepmom. Hmm. Because, you know, usually it's the other way. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm thinking you need counseling. Yes. Because, I mean, they got in a fist fight. Like, they Hmm. hit each other. And that's never acceptable. Right. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. But this little girl has grown up all her life with just her dad. Hmm. So here comes stepmom in taking that time away and come to find out when the daughter was dating guys, the dad would run them off because it infringed on his time with his daughter. Oh, interesting. So she's doing the same thing to him. He did to her. That's right. You know, and you bring up something else with this and that is adult children have the same adjustments as younger age kids. Now they're a little more mature, but when it comes to our parents, I think we, (laughs) yeah, a little bit more they are they are just as invested in the old relationship, just like you pointed out, the daughter with her dad and how things are. And there's a place of security there for me. And you know, they don't want they don't want their whole family identity infringed upon either, mm-hmm. right? There's they have to adjust a lot when a parent gets married. That's true if they're 25 or 35 or 50, and dad's. 77 getting married again. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of adult step families and, and, and it takes some time. So here's the thing. When you hear this sort of information that you get in today on, on this great podcast, um, take it to heart, no matter what the age of your kids, no matter what your situation is, and just try to apply it in, but recognize that it still applies to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My parents got divorced when I was 31 ish hmm. and it was still hard. Mm-hmm. And you know, you were talking about the saying negative things about the other parent. I had to tell my mom, I am not your friend. Mm, I am your yeah. daughter and he is my father. Don't confide in me about that. Yep. Yes. Yep. And it is hard to do. It's really it hard to do, especially when tensions are raised and your kids saying something like, well, my dad's stupid and did whatever. Mm. It's hard to go. Yeah, he did. He is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. You just have to say, oh, that's not nice. You shouldn't say that about people. <laughs> I remember my kids would always come back from a like a family get together on their mom's side. 
and they would come back and be like, so-and-so said something about you. And this other person talked about you. I mean, this is years after divorce. Mm-hmm. And I would always tell them, I'm so glad they missed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's oh, good. His oldest came back recently and was going to a family get together with the mom's side. And I said, don't you want to take your dad so they can talk to him instead of about him? <laughs> <laughs> and he just busted out laughing. Because you know, the older they get, you can joke about those things. Yes. Yes. The longer you've been in the crockpot together, the stronger your relationship, the, the more you can say that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Let me, let me ask you a question about the church role mm. in okay. step families. Somebody came to me once and said, I can't find step family resources in, in my church or churches they've been to. And one person even says something to them to the effect of, we can't support divorce, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to have resources to help people be divorced, right? Even though I don't see it that way, you're not helping them be divorced. You have them, yeah. you know, rebuild. But do you run into that at all? Every once in a while, we do. Um, and let me just say to your listeners, that is a big component of what we do is educating leaders and churches and people in religious circles in particular about how to think about this in a way that helps them understand step families and be able to minister. Um, we have a, uh, right now I've got an article posted not too long ago called Loving Mercy, Loving Mercy. And it's all about this, how do I get my head around theologically, biblically around a divorce and somebody getting married and forming a blended family. And we just released our po- podcast that I do called Family Life Blended, where we, like you guys, talk about lots of different things. A recent edition was all about divorce and remarriage. And how do we think about this? And let me just answer your situation by asking this. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit too, mm-hmm. so that's okay. But you know, what, do, what should we do with the fact that a woman caught in adultery and Jesus' response about her, you know, drawing in the sand with his finger and saying, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And then everybody realizes, well, that's not me. So I guess I'll walk away. And then Jesus is just left with this woman. And he, he says, you know, don't, don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, she walked away. Now, if we're worried about the slippery slope, which apparently this person is, we, we don't want to support divorce. Well, I don't support divorce. I mean, I want to help people stay committed to the commitments that they make mm-hmm. and, you know, love the person you're with, you know, you made a commitment. Let's help you make that last. Our God is faithful and tells us the truth and he's committed to us and he wants us to do the same. That's sort of the standard. So no, nobody's supporting people walking away from relationships. But what do we do when people have done something that brings them to a place where they need help? Well, I think what Jesus did was he offered mercy. If you're sitting back going, wow, he let that woman get away with adultery. Don't you think 10 other people are going to see that and go, I guess I can go commit adultery too. That just gave me permission. That's the slippery slope mentality, right? If we don't come down hard on this or this person or this situation, Next thing you know, everybody else is going to be going doing it too. So the reason we're not going to be merciful to you is because we want we don't want anybody else to get divorced. Like you're going to scare it out of them. Like mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't make any sense when you get down to it. But that is the tactic. But that wasn't who Jesus was. He was grace filled and merciful to sinners. Mm-hmm. He's been that way to me. I need to be that way to others. There are boundaries and limits in the kingdom as, as, and God is loving to give us boundaries, just like we give to our kids around things that don't help us, that don't, that cause pain and hurt in our lives. So he does say no to certain things, but when we sin and cross that line, he is quick. 
in mercy and in love to come right back and go, okay, get up. Come on. I love you. I'm with you. Let's keep going. Let's do this a little better next time. And I just think that's the attitude the church ought to have. Last question, and then I'll stop preaching. (laughs) Um, You know, if we're worried about people getting the idea that somehow sin is okay, then we pretty much need to shut down church because every Sunday somebody walks in there and discovers that there's a savior and there's redemption for their sin and their life, and he loves them. And we sing about that and we have all kinds of messages about that and we celebrate that every week. Next thing you know, if we're not careful, somebody's going to think they can just go out and sin and do all the things they want to do. And somehow God is going to take them back. So we better just shut down church altogether. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. In God's kingdom, it's all upside down. We love mercy. We extend mercy. We forgive as we have been forgiven. And that's how grace and love fill the world. Exactly. From a standpoint of the person that's thinking about getting into that second Mm. Uh, relationship. We'll say second. We know people that have been in <laughs> more than Third, that. fourth, twelfth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're going into their first blended family. The funny part is kind of a side note here. Um, we've had people come to us and like, this is my second blended family. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, sometimes the spouse passes away or whatever. The first blended family was so easy. Mm. And I go to the second one and I'm thinking, you know, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know exactly what I'm going to walk into. Mm-hmm. I've got all this figured out. I've actually been in a blended family before and it still, you know, kicks in between the eyes. Yes. It, you know, it's so funny. I have to laugh because I'm thinking, I wish I would have had the easy route. <laughs> it was never easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? Um, there's a pandemic all over the world. We've all been living in it, but I've talked to people in Africa and a woman in the Philippines and what their experience of the pandemic is, is very different than ours because of their medical facilities, because of their government, because of the way things work in terms of workplace and expectations and cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, One woman in the Philippines, they've been in quarantine for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think I'd be going nuts if that was our world. You know, it's still the same pandemic, but it has a different expression in different Mm -hmm. places, given the dynamics that are around them. So one blended family is not necessarily exactly like the next, you know, I think you've heard me say there's 67 different blended family configurations based on how it starts and whether they both bring kids or have an hours baby or whatever. And we actually did the math. That's true. 67. So because you experienced one of those (laughs) does not mean that you know what it's like to experience any of the others. I'm glad you brought that up because oftentimes people either they're listening to us or they're, you know, any of the other people that are out there doing what we do, blended family coaching or counseling or therapist. And they're all, they're all looking for that one way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very clear with people that what we coach and what we talk about and what we teach is not the only way. It is not the silver bullet mm-hmm. and it is a terrible fit for some people. And it is a right. fantastic fit for others. But to your point, there's, possibly 67 different variations of how that can look. And so you sometimes have to try some different things and you may have to pull a little bit from here and a little bit from there to to figure out what really works in your blend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's the secret behind like the work that you and I do. We try to speak to the dynamics that are true of most blended families, Mm -hmm. not all, but most things they have in common. We can talk about loss, for example, But if your parent died, it's different than if your parents divorced. It's a different expression of loss. There are different consequences and implications of that. 
there's some things that are similar in terms of the grief journey, but there's some things that are really different in terms of how that looks in real life. That's a good example of that. But the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that, and I teach a principle of flexibility. It's kind of live and learn, like find what works in your home and keep doing that. If, you know, a good example of this is how do we merge traditions, right? I mean, I know one family that uh, the way they did the Christmas tree, you know, he and his kids carefully placed ornaments on the tree. (laughs) She and her kids threw tinsel everywhere, all over the house. This family got married. It was a disaster the first time they decorated the Christmas tree. Like they couldn't come together on what it should look like. One group wants to throw tinsel and the other group saying, don't you dare touch our tree. We're carefully, meticulously placing the... So guess what? I don't know what the solution is for those folks. I don't have a clue. Two Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we did that could in our be house. It. That could be it, right? <laughs> yeah. It could also be that they try. I've had people say, you know, Thanksgiving. Do we have Thanksgiving and or do we have turkey and ham? I know one family that was the perfect solution. Another family, when they did that, everybody complained because they weren't unified in what they were eating. And so it was not the right solution. That's why they created the turducken. So (laughs) I think you just made that up. (laughs) Yeah, Google it. It's a thing. (laughs) So the point is live and learn. Like you do have to apply some wisdom to your circumstances. And the other part of live and learn is try a few things. And if it doesn't work and it doesn't work, stay after it and find what does work. And eventually, when you find that thing, then you know how to do the Christmas tree. This couple I was telling you about the Christmas tree, here's what they here's what they landed on. Are you ready for this? Okay. <laughs> they split the tree in half, like not physically cut it, but they just said, all right, you guys get this round half. You can decorate with ornaments and we're going to throw tinsel on this. And everybody agreed and they went with that and it got them through the first few years when things were really awkward and uncomfortable and they bought up some time. That's the point. Mm-hmm. find what works for you and keep going. Yeah. The the thing that drives me crazy a lot of times when we're in a, in a large group, like the Facebook group, let me just say that mm-hmm. somebody will, will say, try this. This is what worked for us. Uh-huh. And you'll have a dozen people talk about how crazy and stupid that is. And that'll never work. And, or even the things that we we're say, look, try this. Is this is something we've seen work? And that you know, some somebody will say, well, that's a terrible idea. And the thing about it is, you're it might be a terrible idea for them, mm-hmm. but don't stand in somebody else's way of possibly having a breakthrough because yeah. you don't think it's going to work for you. Because right. we're not talking about you right now. That's right. <laughs> we're trying to help somebody else. <laughs> And sometimes you just, it won't work because you have a closed mind. That's what I was getting ready to say. If I would not have been Mm open-minded when we met with Mr. Butler and he kept telling me they were not my kids 862 times. She was usually open mouth instead of open mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, apparently I wasn't too (laughs) open-minded considering he had to say it 862 times, but he knew me well enough to know how hard-headed I was. Mm. And then it just, it hit me. But if I would not have been open to the possibility of let me try this. We would have never made it because we had done everything else that we possibly Mm -hmm. knew of Mm -hmm. other than sending the kids to boarding school. (laughs) That was next on the list. Yes. (laughs) And all along the way after that, it it really started becoming a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And the thing, the thing about it was it wasn't trial, error, stop. It was trial, error, start again. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. so you didn't hit that wall and go, well, I guess we just need to get divorced because this is not going to work. It was more like, okay, that didn't work. Right. Let's try this other thing. Mm-hmm. And and the funny thing about it is we started discovering that it was the thing that we 
probably thought was the worst idea turned out to be what was actually working Mm -hmm. because we were trying to do the nuclear family solutions. Yeah. Let me introduce you to a word I like to use, co-creating. One of the chapters in Preparing to Blend is co-creating a a reality, the terms you're going to use to refer to one another after the wedding takes place. I still think there's some married blended families that haven't really done this. They haven't really given definition. And it's it's a simple conversation, but it might not be so simple when you get into it. But the idea is like, what do you want me to call you? Just when we're running around the house here, what would you be comfortable with me calling you? By your first name? This is step-parent, step-child, whatever. Step-child to step-parent. By your first name? Uh, is there a term you want me to use? What would be comfortable for you? Here's what I'm comfortable with. Let's co-create something that's accept- acceptable for both of us. People who say, well, can I expect my stepchild to call me mom or dad? That's the wrong question. Don't ask me, ask them. I don't have that answer. They might be very comfortable with that. Most kids aren't. But the point is, until you have a dialogue, a respectful dialogue where nobody demands anything from the other person, you can co-create an answer you both like, then that's the right answer. Mm -hmm. And that co-creation process is so important. So part of what we're saying here about traditions or merging cultures or foods or expectations around parenting and whatnot is you buy time. You just kind of get through while you're co-creating some reality that everybody is okay with. Sometimes it takes you years around decorating the Christmas tree. Everything else is going great, but we can't figure that stupid thing out. Mm -hmm. Buy time. Keep trying. Keep working at it. Uh, Other times you have lots of conflicts around little things. Well, we're still co-creating relationship behind the scenes. And that's going to help as we get that figured out, then we'll figure out this little piece over here. Right. And people change over time. Relationships mm-hmm. change. Yep. And a lot Kids of times. grow and develop. Yeah. And yeah. We'll, we'll have a lot of people say, well, once I start this nacho and stuff, do I have to do it forever? Mm. No, but you will learn that it is helpful for you to do it forever yeah. in certain situations. Instead of getting mad at the guy at the gas station that's taking too long, Take a step back and breathe and say, mm-hmm. hmm, maybe this is preventing me from getting in a car wreck by sitting here an extra two minutes. Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of it, a lot of it's just perception. Well, it's it's really, and, and I hate to tell the secret here, Uh-oh. but don't tell the secret, David. <laughs> and, and this is kind of an overused term these days, but it really is about teaching people emotional intelligence. Yes. Um, because I think we we lack that by design. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you, you know, once you get to the point where you can just take a step back, not let your emotions take over you, but you always taking over your emotions. You don't have those reactions to things. You learn to just respond when response Mm -hmm. is needed. Never react just like the doctor nailing you in the knee with a hammer and you you can't help it. It just happens. Uh, You don't want that to happen. You know, you want to have that ability to, to always be in control of your emotions. And I love when women say, I couldn't help it. That's just how I am. I'll tell you something. I learned to keep my mouth shut. And I'm not kidding. When I say I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. I think self-control is one of the biggest signs of maturity and character in all of us. I'm almost 55, been married 35 years, and I am facing more of my own selfishness and more of my own frailties when I get when I feel challenged a little bit in my marriage or I feel a little insecure in my marriage, I am, I am working on that all the time. And it's sort of like, okay, that's the reality. I'm still growing up. 
anybody who says, do I have to do this? How long should I? You mean I have to do this nacho thing? It's called growing up. Like, hello, I don't know what you think. Somehow you're relieved of having to grow up. No, that's not the truth. The truth yeah. is we're always working on our character. And I think God's always working on us and helping us to, to mature. But if I'm not willing to look in the mirror and go, what is it about me that's not working here? Then guess what? You never grow up and things don't get better between you and other people. Yeah. They, they look at it like it's a destination. When, when am I going to get there? Mm. When you die, that's when you get yeah. there. <laughs> but until then, you've got to continually work on uh, yourself, your yep. relationships with those around you. I mean, if you're not constantly growing and improving, you're going downhill yep. because you're going to go toward uh, a, de- a digression uh, within your emotions, within your improving uh, yourself and all that. You're going to go downhill if you don't work on uh, keeping it sharp. One of the things I've always said is you're always going to be working on your marriage, your parenting, your personal intimate relationships. You're always going to be working on those because God is always using them to work on you. It's in parenting that I realize how frustrated I get, how quickly I overreact. When a child just doesn't do what I want them to do with a happy face, all of a sudden I, re- I recognize in me how short-tempered I am. Mm-hmm. I got to deal with that. It's in marriage when you're trying to be intimate with someone. I'm not talking sexual intimacy. I'm just talking about revealing yourself, allowing them to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's when you realize how insecure you are. And you kind of go, man, I want to hide this part of me because if I show you that and you don't like it, then all of a sudden I feel rejected. So my fear of rejection leads me to be closed and to withhold from you. Guess what? That's about you. That's not about your spouse. That's about you. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of stuff God is showing us through our relationships. But if we're closed and say, I don't have to work on that, I shouldn't have to work on that. It's everybody else who should have to work on that. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You're going to find yourself frustrated in a lot of dead-end relationships. You know, Ron, that was one of the hardest things for me was to feel like I was the problem. Mm-hmm. And especially when I'm already down in the dumps and I'd say even depressed at that point in time, because I was felt like I was fighting everybody. I felt like I'd made a wrong decision, us getting married, felt like I ruined Jackson's life, all this stuff. Yeah. And then I'm being quote, quote, told you're the problem. Mm. Oh, well, thanks. Let yeah, me just go right. ahead and well, that hurts. jump off a bridge because that's mm. what, how it makes you feel. But what helped me with that is. I looked at it as, Lori, you've got a strong personality. And Melanie Anthony actually said this, that women are the thermostat of the home. Yeah, yeah. So we can make it hot or we can make Mm -hmm. it cool. Mm -hmm. And we do have a presence about us that we can make everybody miserable or we can relax the situation to where it's not as stressful. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of the stepmoms deal with is because the stepmoms, they feel like they're being attacked and then they're being told you're the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm i sorry. I think you've hit on something here that's really important. And and I'm just going to say to step parents, I think stepmoms carry a lot of this. I really do. But step parents in general, you know, because you get pushed to the outside, you start as an outsider, you're trying to find your way in. And it's pretty easy for somebody to give you the stiff arm and keep you out. That is so frustrating. You feel so powerless. That's when you really discover how much you were invested in blendering and, and getting everybody to receive you and everything to be you know, happy and coherent in your family. And that's when you also recognize how much you hate being lonely. 
You hate being on the outside. And that, again, brings to, to the surface those insecurities and all that stuff. It, it's a hard place to be, but it really shows you the frailties inside. And, I, you know, I, th- th- that's a moment where you just go, God, you got to help me through that. You got to help me find self-control so I don't overreact because that just makes things worse. And, and God, you got to help me be more in charge of my responses and my emotions Otherwise, I'm expecting way too much from everybody else. I'm frustrating them. and They're getting mad at me. That's making everything worse. I mean, it is definitely um, a vulnerable place to be. You know, a lot of people will say, don't pray for patience. Don't ask God to give you patience because he'll stick you in a traffic jam for eight hours. <laughs> and <laughs> Let <when> you practice. <laughs> yeah. When you brought up being short-tempered, my son will say, like, you're crazy. You're fine one minute and mm. then you're mean the next. Well, we went through the Chick-fil-A drive through today. Mm. Throughout that short time through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, he had cut this heater on in my seat, <laughs> cut my car off twice, Uh-oh. opened my sunroof. Um, what else did he do? Oh, pulled up the emergency brake, cut the <laughs> air conditioner off. And then he <laughs> wonders why I'm mad by the time we get up to the window. <laughs> he learned that from this one. It is the button pushing. I'm telling you. And he just thinks it's funny. And I'm like, that's enough. But he has to do it that one more time. Yeah, just one more time. Just one Whoa. more time. That, oh, that, that, was, is that one's for his dad. The one more time is from his dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I never looked at it as being short-tempered. I don't so know Dave, why until you said that. So, David, I guess you're the problem. <laughs> um, no, yes. I'm a problem by proxy. <laughs> Hey, we're all the problem. Look, I I can't do that to her. She gets mad at me, but I can teach other people to do that to her that she loves more than me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, here's the thing. We are all the problem. You know, you're right. Here's a family systems principle that I teach people. You know, when something goes wrong, it's never you're necessarily to blame, but everybody's responsible. In other words, everybody connected to that moment had some part in it. And therefore, we all have some part to play in growing up and maturing and, and doing better at relationships as we move forward. Anytime you settle on one person as the problem, uh, that has skewed the dynamic. And it, it, now you have a new problem. You're blaming. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's not going to. So if we all have that attitude, it's an attitude of humility that says, I, I always have something. There's always a piece of this. You may have the, cra- the craziest former spouse. You are not to blame for their crazy, but you have a piece in the dance with that crazy. You do. You can make it worse. You can make it better. You can move it a little bit this direction or a little bit that direction. You cannot fix them, but you have influence. And so we always have something we need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you deal with the kind of the extreme part of that where, you know, what you probably should be doing is saying, I hold some of the responsibility and let me. Let me step back and kind of analyze the situation and, and where where I could have done better or where mm-hmm. my quote unquote fault is. That's kind of how you should do it. But you see some people who go, oh, yeah, it's all me. You know, mm-hmm. it's I'm a terrible person. But I'm a terrible that's parent. That's what we kick into is our defense mechanism for being. Yeah, but you're changing you're changing the conversation at that point because now you're you're victimizing yourself yes. and you're, you're blowing it, you know, way out of proportion. Oh Lord, David, in that victimization word. <laughs> oh, it's but, so there. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> you know, instead of constructively looking at the situation, now you're destructively looking at yeah. the situation. 
Well, let me just try to take a little run at this. Pain is at the heart of all of this. Pain is what brought about the conflict in the first place. And now that the other person is saying, hey, here's your part, you know, uh, you're going, you feel some more pain. So the person who says, oh, it gets sarcastic and says, oh, I guess I'm all to blame. It's all about me. Their defensiveness is hiding the pain that they have underneath. And my guess is that pain is, I feel rejected. Mm-hmm. I feel unsafe with you. Like you're blaming me. And that makes me feel like you really don't care about me or about whatever the moment was and whatever that meant. Um, maybe it's, I feel unloved. I don't feel valued. So in this moment, I'm protecting that sense of feeling unloved with defensiveness, with sarcasm. I'm sort of pushing it back on you. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. But what I'm hiding is how lonely I feel. Here's the hard part. We want other people to fix our loneliness. I want you to make me feel loved so I don't feel unloved. I want you to, to tell me I'm special so I don't feel left out. Mm-hmm. Other people can do things that help, but they can't fix that ultimate feeling. Like I've got to resolve that in me. Mm-hmm. Either I find that I'm an acceptable, lovable person in God, because I, and for me, it's it's in what Christ has done for me. That tells me so much of my value. Like, and I hold on to that in moments when my wife is angry at me. Right. <laughs> but Jesus loves me. <laughs> <laughs> Be like Jesus. <laughs> Be like Jesus. No, but seriously, it's sort of like, okay, if it's true, I have value, then I don't have to react to you. I don't have to push back. I don't have to get sarcastic or defensive. I can hear what you have to say. And you know, it, it, it occurred to me one day, I defensiveness is one of my spiritual gifts, by the way. <laughs> That's funny. I've never seen that. <laughs> and uh, by the way, my other gift is sarcasm. So I just use that one. Um, I, I am blessed with that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured out one day when my wife is upset with me, it's not the end of the world. I, I don't have to actually fall apart and become a blooming idiot. I can actually respond with maturity. I can actually listen to what she's saying. And I can respond rather than react or get defensive and push right back at her and argue with her. It's okay that she doesn't like me a little bit. Now, let me tell you, that is a massive revelation in my life. Mm -hmm. And it frees me to love her even in moments when she's upset with me. I could never do that before I came to that understanding. And so that's on me to figure out my part of it. I got to deal with my pain. Mm -hmm. You know, that's similar to we see people, oh, I can't stand when the stepkids leave stuff out of place. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. OCD won't allow it. The OCD is your issue. Yes. Not everybody yes. else you live That's with. That's right. They by get them to way, my OCD, right? Yeah, no. mm-hmm. They're self-diagnosed OCD, by the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of self-diagnosis going on. <laughs> well, one thing that... I haven't read your book because I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah. Well, it's it comes out in just a few weeks. Yeah. Yes. But I do have a question. I know that there is a chapter about merging money and estate plans. Yes. yes. And we have a course in the Nacho Kids Academy that we did with an estate planning attorney. Okay. And it was great. It was great because people don't think about this stuff. That's right. That's right. And the merging money thing. David and I keep our finances together, but we see a lot of couples that struggle with this. And you talked about this in your last book, didn't you? Well, yes, I have talked about it in a couple of books. I wrote an entire book with two other, a financial planner and an estate uh, attorney 
called The Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. It's an entire book on step family finances, start to finish, building a plan. What are the ins and the outs, the above the surface money issues and the below the surface relationship issues that make a difference in that? So we, I summarize some of those principles in this new book, Preparing to Blend. But if somebody really wants to work on that, that's the book, Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. Mm-hmm. You know, we find, and I'm sure you do with your clients, that it's not, I spent $50 extra at the grocery store on mac and cheese for your kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> $50 on mac and well, cheese. <laughs> hey, we've talked to some of those people. But it's like David says, you've got to peel the onion back. What yeah. is the root of this problem? What's the root, right. Yeah. Because it's really not the mac and cheese. No, it's not. Uh, especially in blended family. I think this is true in all relationships, all marriages, but it really comes to the surface in blended families. It's you know, um, one of the case studies uh, that we talk about is um, a woman, her new husband comes to her and says, hey, look, I want both of us to put uh, our names on the life insurance as the primary beneficiaries. And she's like, okay, you didn't bring any kids to this. <laughs> so that's easy for you. Um, I've got two children that I want to make sure are provided for, and they have interests different than yours. Um, I do want to make sure you're provided for, but if I make you primary beneficiary. I'm trusting that somewhere down the road, if I get hit by a bus today, somewhere down the road, you're going to be able to distribute those to the kids in such a way that supports their interests the way I want to. And I'm just don't, I don't have confidence the way you and they get along. It's not great. It's okay, but it's not fabulous. I just don't have confidence that that'll happen. So no, I'm not going to make you the primary bit. So then he says, Oh, so you don't love me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more important. So, okay, clearly below the surface, this is about love. This is about trust. This is about belonging. This is also about power. Who gets to make decisions for whom? This is not about primary beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. It's about an insecurity in the marriage. So, yes, you got to deal with that first. Then you can come up and say, now, what's the right financial decision? We have people ask us all the time. Do we need one pot of money or three pots of money? Do we, we have to put 12. everybody into or 12, right? <laughs> we came in, she had three, I got two pots. You know, we got all kinds of investments. Like, do we have to just dump it all into? No, there's nothing from a financial standpoint that says that has to be. Mm-hmm. It could be that that is somehow symbolic and representative of what you want to do together. Great. But if you need, from a functional standpoint, to keep money coming in and out of the other household, for example, in a separate account so you can track it for a former spouse, that's a good reason to have another pot of money. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that says one pot is the only way to go. It's, it's about trusting the, in the relationship, not necessarily how you organize your finances. So how much should you hide from the other spouse? <laughs> yeah, everything, man. Okay. I, uh, oh, wait, okay. that's my sarcasm coming out. Um, <laughs> 50% no. of everything is the real answer. <laughs> 50% of everything. Yeah. You know, what, the rule one we talk about in this book, you want to create a financial plan, you got you to gotta own up to everything you have, every debt you have, every asset, every liability, and put it on paper in front of one another and start the conversation. Yeah. Now we give you more guidance about how to do that than just that, but honesty is where it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember when she and I got married, I think some of our biggest internal struggles, not with each other, but just the marriage part was we both wanted to hold on 
to that that just in case, mm-hmm. you know, that security that we yeah, had before. It's, it's like she had a house. You know, we both had two houses, but she had to sell hers. And she's like, yeah. I don't know if I want to sell my house. And you don't know how many times I sat on that front porch and cried going, that was stupid to sell my house. <laughs> Honestly, if she hadn't sold her house, we probably would have got divorced because she would have had somewhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but, and, you know, you got that. And then you've got, you know, how, however much uh, of a nest egg you might have saved up. And, uh-huh. and now this person comes in and you're like, wait a minute, you weren't around when I saved this money, but now right. you want access to it. And, oh, you've got four kids. I've only got one. So yeah. why do I have to pay half the groceries? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, those are, you know, those are all legitimate questions and conversations mm-hmm. to have. But again, I, more often than not, it's really about a different question. Mm-hmm. It's oh, yeah. really about, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Do you trust me? Um, can I trust that you're committed to me? Mm-hmm. Um, we, by the way, I've done a couple of podcasts on finances, again, family life blended podcasts, look us up, scroll through, find the ones on, on money issues for people who are really having some struggles. I think they'll give them some good guidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a lot, a lot, a lot to learn Mm -hmm. when you're getting into this. And as we've already pointed out, you're never going to stop learning Mm -hmm. no matter how long you've been. Lori and I still learn. Uh, but we're in a we're in a place now where we don't learn and get mad because of something we went through. We learn and laugh at things. Um, we just had something last was last week where you said something about my son, and I said, "Well, remember Branson?" And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, don't bring my kid into this!" And I just started laughing. I'm like, "It never ends. It never ends." You're going to play tit for tat when it comes to your yeah. kids. But we're yes. you know we just we're able to recognize it now for what it is, um, and just to your point about the underlying, we don't have the underlying problems that we had before. And so it mm-hmm. doesn't dig itself under your skin. It just, right. we laugh it off, water on the duck's back and we just keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's trust. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what that represents. There's been a bonding. There's been a, uh, okay. I, I think you and I, we're going to go the distance and it and all of a sudden it, it lifts your mood and makes those things a little lighter than they would have been. And it makes those little arguments or disagreements not seem like the end of the world. Mm-hmm, right. You know, there's too many times that people get in an argument with their significant other and they feel like it's the end. And that's why their reaction is so extreme. Yeah. Right. At yeah. the end of the day, it's all about trust. Yep. One other point. I think we might have to wrap up here soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, of- we can keep talking all night, but I'm sure Ron's got <laughs> Ron's like, It's dinner time. We got to get out of here. Um one of the, the walls that we see people hit mentally is they they start doing something to improve their blended family. And, and for some reason, they see this as this is how the relationship's always going to be, or mm. this is the work I always have to do. Mm. For example, a lot of times when people come to us initially, we're, we're, we're like, we're like you gotta, you've got to back off a little bit. You got to start looking at things differently step outside of your own emotions and look at what other people are having to deal with so that you can respond accordingly. Right. And almost inevitably they go, so this is what my relationship is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, this is, this is a step one. This yeah. is like surgery. We're yeah. prepping you for surgery. Then you'll have the surgery. Then you'll have the healing time. Yeah. Or yeah. they'll say, you know, my stepkids is not, you know, they're not responding to me and it makes me mad and it's going to always be this way. I'm like, no, 
Yeah. You're not the same person you were last year. Why do you think your relationship's going to be the same year to year? You know, I'm not sure why we catastrophize things that way. I I, I suspect it has to do with pain that mm-hmm. those people, that person has had something like that happen in the past where they got stuck in a relationship and it never got better. And maybe they just bring that forward and think everything's going to be like that. But I tell people, look, it's like a lot of relationships, other relationships you've had, you make new friends. Well, they're not a good friend on day one. In fact, you don't trust them with anything in your life. They're just sort of somebody you talk to on occasion, Mm -hmm. right? It's an acquaintance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But then they become a friend and then you start revealing a little of yourself and they do about themselves. Then you start hanging out more. Then Then you go over and spend a little time in their home and you get to know their family and the people that matter to them, what they're all about. And one day, I mean, this is a best friend sort of deal, but you grew into that. It didn't start there. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything has its layers. We all have a mother-in-law and a father-in-law when you get married. Mm-hmm. On day one, did you call them mom and dad? I don't know. I didn't. You you move in relationships. So no, you're not frozen in time. Keep at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people that it's a marathon, but it's not a marathon you run all at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go out there today and try to run 26 miles, I can't get to the end of the driveway without hurting. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and I can't come back and go, oh, my gosh, am I going to always hurt by the time I get to the, end of the driveway? The answer is no. If you keep doing it, yeah. you get you get better at it. You get more stamina. You start understanding how your body feels. You don't hurt as much at night. Just all these things start progressing because you're you're progressing as a person. You're pushing and, forward. Yeah. And, and it gets better and better and better. So, no, you're never stuck in that place unless you stop. There because you go. if I stop running and then start back three months from now, guess what? Now I got to start all over again. Mm -hmm. So, and don't ask me to run to the end of the driveway. I'm not. (laughs) No. (laughs) Ron, it's been amazing as always to have you uh, tell Mm. everybody again, how to find you and how to find your book when it comes out. Yeah. So come to smartstepfamilies.com. That's my personal website. If you want to find conference events and links to everything that I've got my hands in or come to familylife.com slash blended, familylife.com slash blended. That's where you'll find our podcast and our uh, couple events that we put on and uh, articles and all kinds of good stuff. The book, Preparing to Blend, is going to be, it's book number nine in uh, for me, and it's available wherever books are sold. So you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or walk into a store. If it's not there, you can order it. And it comes out September 14th. Yes, and I've already got it on pre-order. Great. All right. And one of the things that you do talk about, which I think is important, and I wanted to bring this up, is weddings. Mm, yeah. The importance of the kids in the weddings. The topics that look like they are covered in this book are great. Yeah. And Thank are you. definitely needed. Thank you. Uh, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of the wedding as for a family building event. And that chapter helps them understand what they can do to make it better. <laughs> I've got a quick funny, and then we'll let you go. We decided to do the sand mm, for our wedding. Okay. Each kid had their own little bottle. Uh It was so pretty, you know, just watching them go up there and tap their bottle to get all the sand out. I come home. I've got a big box of stuff that his dad had packed up, you know, from the wedding and I'm just bringing stuff in and I pick this box up and I turn it and I hear (laughs) it was the sand. Oh, no. I didn't want the kids to know. So I ran to Hobby Lobby 45 (laughs) minutes away to try to get sand and we're trying to remember who had what color. I mean, it was just crazy. <laughs> so needless to say, we got it fixed. They didn't know then. If they listen to this, they will know. 
Yep. And then we glued the lid onto the little jar. So yes. it would never come off again. Yes. But <laughs> I remember th- forever. I remember thinking in hindsight, I'm like, that was a sign. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on, guys. This has been fun. It's yeah. been great. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, I remember what it was. It's not too late to sign up for the Step Family Summit. Even though the live portion is over, you can still get lifetime access to the recordings and the transcripts and all that happy stuff. So go to nachokids.com slash the Step Family Summit. David, did you remember anything? No. (laughs) So as always, it's nice talking to Ron, getting his insights. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't understand how he has time to turn out books like he does, though. Because he works for a company that has a lot of people that does stuff for him. I know that, but still, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It I is. Mean, how long have we been trying to write a book? <laughs> Let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> no, I did. I'm just, just going to have to take a whole month off from anything and everything and just write. And you think you're going to write a book in a month? Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah, I do. Okay. If I had nothing else to do. Well, I did put it out there that. You know, the topic and title of my next book. Yeah, The Stupid Stepdad. (laughs) (laughs) That just fits you perfectly for some reason. Uh, How to do everything wrong. Mm -hmm. I think some people would read that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Because remember when Tracy and I did the How to Nacho Wrong, Mm -hmm. that was kind of fun. Yep. But I'm glad there's more resources out there for those people that are... um, pre-blending or, or thinking about getting into the blended family situation because Lord knows, <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what they're getting into. Heck, I think people that aren't even dating people yet should read stuff Yeah, and get you prepared because what happens is you meet these people and, oh, you fall in love and those red flags look like burgundy flowers. And then all of a sudden they turn into red flags. There was a lady, I'm, I'm sure you remember this. I'm not going to say her name. But we were in a on a call with her the other day, and she was saying how you know she's so thankful for a lot of the blended family coaches and all the content they put out, and you know it's opened her eyes to a lot of blended family uh, dynamics and challenges. And she's like, "I've learned that I do not want a man with kids." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, you know, if if we've uh, Giving you enough to make you make a an an honest, educated decision that's not what you want to do, then great. That is her screening process. Do you have kids? If he says yes, she says next. I didn't have the heart to tell her though how many people say that and still end up with somebody with bunches of kids. She knows. She's privy to a lot of information. She knows. <laughs> She's just trying her best to stay away from that right now. <laughs> that's funny. All right. I think that's it for now, David. All right. That is our show for today, folks. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow us and share us out and leave us a review. We appreciate them. And remember for Lori and myself that life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho. 